Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. The lesson you're about to hear was presented to the Franklin Church of Christ on January 25, 2009, the Sunday following our series on church growth by Harold Comer. If you haven't listened to those lessons, I encourage you to download them as well. In this lesson, I presented five easy things everyone can do to help save souls. I know there are many more things that can be done on various skill levels, but these are easy things everyone can do. So, open your Bible and get ready to learn five easy things you can do to help save souls. How many of you drove or rode on I-65 sometime this week? Probably just about all of us, with very few exceptions. As we get started this morning, I'd like for you to imagine yourself driving on I-65. If you have to close your eyes, that's fine. But it's at night, it's raining, and all of a sudden, traffic backs up. And it's at a standstill. And you're sitting there for about ten minutes, and you're beginning to wonder what on earth is going on. In fact, even though it's raining, you roll down your window, and you're kind of sticking your head out, trying to crane and, and see, has there been a wreck? Is you know, has somebody been pulled over? What is going on here? And as you continue to sit there, the tension just mounts for a few moments because you realize that this is not good. Something bad is going on. Not to mention the tension of just now you're, you're late. So you're starting to get a little frustrated, a little bit tense. And as you've got your head sticking out of the window, you begin to hear sirens. And a few moments later, an ambulance passes by on the shoulder. And then a couple of police cars. And a couple of fire trucks. After a few more minutes, traffic slowly begins to move. Everybody's being pushed over to the very far lane. And as you start to move ahead, you're coming closer to the flashing lights. And it looks awful. You continue to drive, and finally you're up to the police cars and the ambulance and the fire trucks, and you can see that there was a wreck, and it has been brutal. Mangled cars. Somebody got hurt. Perhaps killed. And you, like everyone else, as you finally get your turn to pass by the brunt of the wreck, you're looking over, trying to see what you can see. You see some EMTs with somebody on a stretcher as they're trying to get them into the back of the ambulance, and you can't recognize the person. You have no idea who it is. All you can see is that they've got a neck brace on, and there's just blood everywhere. And you continue to pass by, and you see in one car that firemen are working furiously to try to free someone who's hunched over the steering wheel, lifeless. And then you're past the wreck. And you go on to your destination, thankful for your own safety. But later on that evening in the news, you hear a report that someone from Knoxville, you had no idea who it was, died in a car wreck on I-65 earlier that evening. How do you feel? What do you think about? You think about their soul? All right, let's hit the rewind button and back all the way back up. You're driving down I-65. All of a sudden, the traffic backs up. The same traffic jam. The same ambulance and police cars and fire trucks. The same slow-moving traffic. The same wreck. 
don't recognize who it is. And finally, your past. And you get home and you see the news and it's nobody that you recognize, but the next day, you get to work. And one of your coworkers tells you that it was their cousin. How do you feel? What do you think about? You think about their soul? Let's rewind again. You're driving at night. It's raining. It's messy. All of a sudden, the traffic backs up. You see the firemen go by and the police car and the ambulance. But this time, as you approach the wreck and those flashing lights are blinding you, but you get closer, you see the mangled cars. And one of them looks vaguely familiar. You can't quite place your finger on it, but it just looks like something that you've seen before. And, and, and so now you're really staring at the people, but you, you just can't see, you can't recognize who it is that's on that stretcher. They're just in such a mess, and EMTs are in the way, the firemen are in the way of the people in the other car. And, and you drive past, and later on, as you hear the news, though, you find out why that car looks vaguely familiar. It was somebody who lived at the other end of your neighborhood. Or maybe it was somebody who worked on a different floor in your company. Not somebody that you knew too well, but somebody that you had seen before, and you've seen the car just enough for it to kind of register. Now how do you feel? What do you think about? Let's rewind again. You're driving down I-65. It's rainy. It's dark. Traffic backs up. As you slowly move toward the flashing lights of the policeman and the ambulance and the fire truck, and you get up just enough that you can finally see a car, you don't just vaguely recognize it. You know exactly whose car it is because it's your next-door neighbor. Or it's the friend from work that you had lunch with yesterday. Now how do you feel? What do you think about? You think about their soul? One more time. Let's back it up. Driving down I-65, it's dark, it's raining, it's a mess. All of a sudden traffic backs up, the firemen go by, the ambulance goes by, the police go by. You're tense. You're frustrated. You're driving slowly to get up to the wreck. And as soon as you see even part of the car, you know exactly who it is. Because it's your aunt or uncle or your cousin. Or it's your brother or your sister. Or your grandparents. Or your parents or your kids, or maybe it's your other car because it's your husband or wife. Now how do you feel? What do you think about? What if they weren't in Christ? How do you feel about that? This past week we had a meeting and we called it church growth. 
But the thing that we need to recognize is that when we talk about church growth, we're not talking about a competition. We're not talking about a game. It's not an issue of at the end, whichever church has the most members wins. We're talking about souls. Because every single one of us here, and every single person that we know, and everybody that we come in contact with, in fact, everybody in the world is heading for that car wreck. Maybe their car wreck is cancer, or maybe it's a heart attack. But everybody is heading for that moment. And we need to see ourselves, everyone we come in contact with, heading for that moment. And we have what can help them prepare for that moment. We don't have car insurance. Sure, whoever made it through that wreck is going to have to do something about their car. And and we don't have hospital coverage because certainly anybody in that wreck is going to need it. And it's not life insurance to protect those who are left behind or help them. What we have is the gospel message that saves souls. That prepares them not for that moment when they're in the wreck, but for that next moment. When they face eternity. We have that. When we talk about church growth, what we're talking about is getting that to other people. And we need to ask ourselves, what and I do. Not what is the congregation doing. What, not me as the preacher, but all of us asking this, what am I doing? What are you doing? To help anyone prepare for that moment. With that thought in mind, what I want to talk to you about for just a few moments, it's five easy things that you can do to help save souls. Now, there's all kinds of other things that we can do, and there's all manner of skill levels, and there's certainly some hard things and some complex things that I hope that you can grow to accomplish those as well. But I just want to talk about five entry-level easy things that you can do to help save souls so that when you see that wreck, you can at least have some serenity that says, I've been doing my part. If that's somebody that I know, I've at least been doing my part. I I can't, you know, not everybody's going to listen. And we'll certainly mourn those who don't. And and what a tragedy that will be. But at least we'll have the serenity of knowing I did what God asked. Five very simple, easy things. The very first one is pray. There's all kinds of things that... We need some people to do, but here's something that every single one of us can do, and that is we need to pray. Acts chapter 11 and verse 21. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 21, the Scripture there says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Why did the church in Antioch have success? 
because the hand of the Lord was with them. There's only one way that we're going to be able to get the gospel message out to folks in Middle Tennessee and around the world, and that is if God's hand is with us. We can come up with all kinds of plans. We can come up with all kinds of programs. But if the hand of the Lord is absent from us, we will not be saving souls. There's only one way to get the hand of the Lord with us, and that's to ask. We have to pray. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. We need to take faith in what this verse says. And remember this. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, the Bible says, "...to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us." That's according to His power that works within us. He can do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Brethren, what that means is we need to ask and think, and we need to ask and think big. We can't challenge Him. If His hand is with us, we can do amazing things in His kingdom. And, and, and even some people that we could have never imagined submitting to Christ will. Because of His power working through us. But we have to ask. Ephesians chapter 6 demonstrates what we need to ask for. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul asked for prayers in verse 19. In Ephesians 6 and verse 19, Paul asked him to pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We need to be praying for us. We need to be praying that we have opportunities. We need to be praying that God would give us the right words to say so that our speech can be seasoned, as it were, with grace. We need to pray that God would give us the boldness so that we'll speak when we need to speak, when those doors are open. We need to be praying for us, not just for the preacher, but for all of us as people who are taking that gospel message out. But we also need to be praying for the lost. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, we see Paul's example. In Romans 10 and verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's talking about his fellow Jews, those who have zeal but not according to knowledge, who are trying to be saved by their own righteousness instead of by faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He says, my prayer for them is their salvation. He got on his knees and he prayed that they would be saved. We need to do that. We need to be praying for the, our friends and our family. We need to be praying for the the, the uh, checker at Walmart. We need to be praying for our bank teller. We need to be praying for these folks that they might be saved. We need to pray big. We need to pray hard. We can all do that. Every single one of us can do that. You don't have to have a, a doctor's degree in theology to pray. You don't have to be a master at oratory to pray. That God says that His Spirit will help us pray. Sometimes we don't know how to pray like we should, but the Spirit will intercede for us. You can do this. You can pray. I'd just like to ask you to commit, if you're not already doing it, at least take one day a week and make that your day that you pray for our evangelism and you pray for the lost. And start naming names. Don't just pray for the lost in general. Pray for lost people that you know. Specific people. Pray for them. And let it be your heart's desire that they'll be saved. In fact, why don't we do that right now? Would you bow with me, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift our hearts to you, asking that your hand would be with us at the Franklin Church, that your hand would be with the congregations that are represented by guests that we have here today. 
that we might do Your will and work to the praise of Your glory, and that because of that, folks will turn to You. Father, there, there are so many for me to start naming names as far as everyone in this congregation that's lifting up this prayer. But we have family, we have friends, we have neighbors, co-workers, classmates, fellow students. We have folks that we've run into at the bank and at Walmart and Kroger and other stores. Acquaintances that we've met. We pray that you would give us open doors that we might talk to them about your word that we might talk to them about your son, that we might tell them about this congregation, about your church. And we pray that you would give us the words to speak, that we might speak with boldness, that our words might be seasoned as it is with grace, that they might be gracious. And give us boldness so that we will not fall back in fear. Help us, Father, to recognize that our acceptance comes from you, that we don't have to be accepted by people in the world, that you will provide us with our comfort and our joy and our love. And because of that, we can go ahead and teach your gospel to others. Father, I pray that you will use the Franklin Church to change the world. That we'll start here in Middle Tennessee, but through the activities that we do and preachers we support and our work on the web, that we might be able to reach out and touch the lives of people for your glory throughout the entire world. Strengthen us, Father, to hold one another accountable, to lift one another up, to think big, to have a mindset of growth and salvation, to see the lost and to see their eternity. God, the reason we want this is not so we can fill our building, not so we can be the largest church in Franklin, but so that others can enjoy the forgiveness that we have in you and in your Son. So that you might be glorified by more voices as they lift together their praises with us. Father, we pray that your hand will be with us that you'll discipline us where we depart from your word, that you'll lift us up and bless the work that we do that glorifies you. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son's name we pray. Amen. The second thing that you can do is let your light shine. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're so, we are supposed to live in such a way that our light shines forth, but not our light, the light of Jesus shining through us. So that folks don't turn and look at us and how amazing we are, but they turn and look at God and how glorious He is. We are to allow our light to shine so that others will want what we have. Others will want to be where we are. And others will want to emulate how we're living as we submit to Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 makes this point quite clear. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 12 it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. The only thing I can get from that is, if they've been speaking evil against us, but they're going to glorify God in the day of visitation, it's because they see our good deeds and they repent. So what this says is, even when folks are treating us badly, we need to let our light shine. 
so that folks can see Jesus through us. Jesus isn't physically in the world anymore. If they're going to see Him, they're going to have to see Him through us. And so as you consider this idea of letting your light shine, I encourage you to let Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 to be a guidepost for you here. In Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I want you to think about this. Especially in times like we're going through today where everyone is filled with fear and despair and, and becoming some, a lot of folks are becoming selfish because they're so afraid that they're going to lose in this economic crisis that we're, we're going through. If folks can see us walking through this with love, with peace and serenity, with joy, with self-control, do you think they'll be attracted to that? Do you think they would notice when everyone else is crying in despair and, and we're able to have peace because of our faith in God to take care of us? When so many others becoming selfish and, and drawing into themselves when we increase in our love, when so many others are filled with depression and sadness when we abound with joy, you think folks would notice that and want to have what it is that we've got? I think they would. Let that light shine. Now, there's three caveats that I want to make about this point before we move on to the third thing that you can do. The, the first caveat, I once heard somebody make just a really great little statement. They said, you know what, we're supposed to let our light shine. That doesn't mean we shine our own light. See, that's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were shining their own light. Look at how good I am. Look at my righteousness. Oh, don't you wish that you could be like me? I'm so wonderful. You see, if you're living the Christian life and you're checking off all the rules and you're doing all those right things, but you're constantly looking down your nose at everybody else who's not as good as you, or if you're constantly talking about how stupid everybody else is because they don't, they don't live like you according to Christ's will, or, or if, you, if, if you just constantly act like you're just better than all those sinners out there. Oh, we've got our little club of righteous people over here at the Franklin Church, but all those sinners out there in the world, they're not good like us. If that's the way you're going, we're not going to attract anybody. You see, shining the light of Jesus means shining a light of humility that remembers our own poverty of spirit, that remembers that actually we ain't all that, except by the grace of Jesus. And so we need to remember that. The second caveat that I want to bring to you about shining our light, shining our light doesn't mean being perfect. If it did, we're all messed up on that. We're not going to make that. I'm not making it. You haven't made it. Let's just be honest about that. Shining our light, however, means changing. Shining our light means growing. And our friends and neighbors will see that. They'll notice that. Shining our light sometimes means messing up really badly, but then making amends and making it right. You see, if we get the humility thing down, if, if we're shining our light and we mess up, folks won't see a hypocrite. What they'll see is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And then the third caveat. If you're saying, well, I can't do this because I just don't feel joy and peace. Please don't walk away from here today feeling guilty or thinking that you can't do anything to help save the lost. Let's get together and talk about that because, brothers and sisters, joy and peace and love is in Christ. And you can have that. Maybe you're not feeling it today. 
But that's why we need to grow. And I'd love to talk with you about that, for us to get together and help you grow in Christ so that you can feel those things and you can display those things. Now, I know some folks are saying, wait a minute, you said these are five easy things. This was not that easy. I understand that living Christ-like life all the time is not really that easy. The reason why I put it on that list, though, is because it's not something extra. This is something we're supposed to be doing anyway, isn't it? Because really all this is, is just doing what Jesus asked of us. You can work on that. Then you're doing something to help save the lost. The third thing, invite. If I got anything out of our meeting with Harold this week, that is that we need to be inviting. In fact, I so honed in on that, I even wrote today's bulletin article about that. I hope that you'll read that. We need to be inviting. Harold took us very often this past week to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, where John wrote, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Now, I understand that this verse is not talking about inviting people to our assemblies or our classes. I know that it's not talking about that. It's talking about offering an invitation for folks to drink of the water of life so that their sins can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that we need to recognize in our day and age is that the number one person that we'll have opportunity to give that invitation to is the person who's come and first check this out here. Because there's so much skepticism about anything that's church-related or religious that folks want to check us out. They want to make sure that we're not handling snakes and eating babies. They, they want to make sure that we're, that we're actually loving, caring, kind people. And so if we want to be able to offer that invitation to come drink the water of life, oftentimes it's going to have to be preceded by come check us out. And if you, didn't, if you weren't here on Monday night and get to listen to Harold's lesson about the nine levels of invitations, I encourage you to get online, download that, listen to it. It was an awesome, practical lesson for us. If you were here on Monday night and you got to listen, I encourage you to get online, download it, and listen to it again. All we have to be doing is saying, come, come and see, come check it out for yourself. We can add some value to it. Can you think of some great things that, that you get spiritually from being a part of this congregation, being a part of Christ Church in general? Can you start letting folks know about that? One very specific and practical piece of advice I'll give you is the number one religious change group in America is young families with small kids. And so one of the number one things that we can recommend to folks is our Bible classes. We have some awesome Bible classes for our kids. When they're, when they're done going through that, they'll be able to know the Bible story. They'll, they'll know Bible geography. They'll be able to lay out a big picture of what's going on in the Scripture and how it all fits together. It's awesome. And, and don't you think people today who have some kind of spiritual mindset want their kids to know that and grow up with that? Start telling them about it. Now, I didn't say we had a perfect Bible class program. And I know if some of you try hard enough, you'll find things about it that you don't like. The fact is, we can't have a Bible class program that everybody likes. The question you're going to have to ask yourself is, which is more important? Getting the congregation to have a Bible class program the way you want it? Or talking about our Bible classes in a way that draw people in so they can be forgiven? Find things that you can recommend about our classes, about our preacher, if possible, uh, about our elders, about our members, about our teachers. Just find things that you can recommend and invite people to come. Now, of course... If we're going to invite folks to be here, that means the fourth thing you can do is greet our guests. Now, I, I'm really, I've had a hard time figuring out what to say here because I know that we have some guests here. 
And for the most part, to our guests, uh, what I want to say is that, uh, you know, really, my bringing up this point is not to say that the brethren here need to start doing something, but keep doing what they do well. Because I think in general, you guys do a great job at helping guests feel at home. And, and I hope to any of our guests that are here right now that uh, you've already been made to feel welcome enough so that when somebody comes up to you after the service is over, you don't think they're just coming because they feel guilty because of point four. Uh, now, if you feel like you're an exception to that, having been made welcome, please talk to me about it. I realize that even as hard as we work at it, that some folks drop through the cracks and we miss some and we've still got growth to do, so please share that with us so that we can improve and get better because we want you to feel at home. You know, James, got to get ahead of myself here, James demonstrates to us the idea of, of how we need to work when guests come into our midst. In James chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, My brothers, James 2 verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We need to have an impartial greeting of people to come in. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor, black or white, Yankees are from the South. It doesn't matter if they're Auburn or Alabama fans. It doesn't matter if they're Democrats or Republicans. It doesn't matter if their hair's colored green. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are or what they look like or what they're saying. We're supposed to offer an impartial greeting and welcome into our assembly, giving them honor and respect. We need to be doing that for everybody. Now, any church worth its salt is going to have some kind of program where there are folks who are assigned to do certain things regarding our guests. But if we really want to be people who are going to help folks be saved, whether or not you've got an assigned duty, you're going to pay attention to our guests. And, and when, when you're walking in, the first thing you're looking for is people who you don't know so that you can greet them and talk to them and, and make them feel at home. Strike up a conversation. Find out a little bit more about them. You don't grill them, but just, just talk to them. Learn more about them. Share some things about yourself. As soon as the assembly is over, take the first five minutes and, and look for a guest. And talk to a guest first. Make that your rule, that you're going to talk to a guest first before you go talk to a friend. And we have something that most congregations don't have. In, between, in the middle of our assembly, we've got a break. We're not trying to rush off in that break to make sure we beat the Baptist to lunch. We don't have to worry about anything else. We've just got ten minutes right there. Why not make that a time to make guests feel at home? It's especially important because... Some of our guests come in and they didn't know that we were going to be here for two hours and so they head out during that break. You wait till we're done, they may not be here. Make them feel at home. Talk to them. Talk to guests first. Listen, you've got a directory for everybody else's phone number here. If you need to talk to James, you can call him. He probably will take your call. You need to talk to Jim or or Tony or Paulette, or Georgia, you can call them if you miss them here. Those guests, you're not going to be able to call. Talk to them first. Help them feel at home. Make them feel welcome. You know, the fact is, we can blow it out of the park inviting folks to come in. We may have the truth. We may have it all down pat. But if they walk into this building and they get the cold shoulder, they won't be coming back. And, And we won't have the opportunity to get all that other good stuff we have to them. So we need to make sure that we're greeting 
our guests. And finally, number five. This is a little bit different than the others. We need to recommend our website. Now, this is different because I don't have a Bible. I wish I could go to like 3 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 and it says, recommend your Bible, or your website. But we don't have that. However, I will take you to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Jesus said to the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, we have a way to go into all the world that the apostles didn't have, and it's called the Internet. And I know there's a lot of bad things out there on the Internet, but it's time that we as Christians took that thing and made it a tool for God. And, and what great opportunities that we've had. We have been monitoring, since we've upgraded our website to this new format, we've been monitoring for two months and two days. And we have had over 2,500 visitors that have made almost 5,000 visits. But over 2,500 visitors who have read over 15,000 pages on our website from 52 countries from 49 states in two months. Go into all the world. That sound like maybe we're starting to accomplish that a little bit? We're not used to dealing with websites, though at least as far as the congregation. We don't think about websites as far as evangelism, but that's something on a very practical level that we can do to go into all the world. And so I want to encourage you to recommend our website. And I want to talk about some ways that we can do that. If you go to our website, the very first thing that you can do to recommend to others. How many of you have an address book that you send out emails to? I know some of you do because I get them. Forward this, otherwise you're going to have 10 years of bad luck. Jesus won't love you, and it means you don't love me. I know y'all have those address books. Why not, instead of sending one of those guilting and shaming emails that makes everybody think that they're going to go to hell because they don't send it back to you, send one out and say, hey, you know what? Just wanted to let you know about the new updated website we have at the Franklin Church of Christ. Just go to www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Let me know what you think. Whether they're Christians or not, just send it to them. Listen, you send all that other junk to them, they're not going to care if you send them one more. Just put your address book in there and send it to them. we got 140 people here. Uh, you know, we've probably all got 100 to 150 addresses. Man, that's thousands of people that will hear about it, just like that. Here's the second way you can do it. If you're signed up to receive our emails, and if you haven't done that yet, if you go to our website, which is at franklinchurchofchrist.com, up in the right-hand corner, which I was going to show you, but it's not working, uh, up in the right-hand corner, you can drop in your email address, hit enter, and it'll pull up this thing that you have to just fill out. To, you know, you have to type in the letters so that they know that you're an actual human asking to receive these emails. Let them know about that. Then respond to the email that comes to you, and you'll start getting everything we put on there in email. If you get something that you really like, forward it to people on your address book. Or forward it to people you think will be interested in. Forward that along. It's, it's been studied and proven that people actually read things that are forwarded to them more than they'll read other things. So forward it to them. Now, here's another thing that you can do. If you just keep up with our website, at the bottom of every page, there's a little button that I was going to show you that says Share Save. All you have to do, you click on that button, pops up a little window that gives you lots of choices. If you're on Facebook, 
You can click the Facebook button, log in, and it'll share that article on your Facebook page. If you're on MySpace, you can click that MySpace button. It'll share that article on MySpace. But it also has email. You just click email, and it'll pop up a little message. You type in the email you're wanting to send it to. You type in your email. Then a little message that says, hey, you know, I, I thought uh, based on our conversation the other day that you might be interested in this. You hit send. Type in the little letters to make sure it's actually a human that's doing this and not some computer. Off it goes. Those are things that you can do. Send those messages on. In fact, if you've had a conversation with somebody and there's a topic that, boy, you'd just love for them to get an article about, all you got to do is let me know and I'll write an article. That way you can share it. And we'll get it up there and you can send it on too. Recommend the website. There are five easy things that you can do. Brothers and sisters, this isn't a game. It's not a competition. There are lost people around us every day that we come in contact with all the time. They need the gospel. Are we getting it to them? Five easy things you can do. I hope this lesson edified you. Most of all, I hope it glorified God. If you have any questions about this lesson or any spiritual needs or any prayer requests, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359 or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Also, if you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to meet you face-to-face. Please feel free to join us for any of our classes or assemblies. You can find our times and directions at our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We look forward to meeting you, and please make sure to let us know you listen to this podcast. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.